0: Is that on now,, yes. but we are blessed to have such wonderful worship teams and uh, I tell you like I like to say uh, i 'm paid to be good, and these guys are good for nothing isn 't that amazing that 's awesome to have something like that. Well, there were these uh men and uh, they were at a deer lodge and uh, Obviously, they were going to have to sleep together, but no one wanted to sleep or room with Bob because Bob had a snoring problem, and so they didn't think it would be fair, you know, to uh, just have one guy room with Bob, so they agreed that they would take turns rooming with Bob, so there was the guy, uh, first guy, you know, he, he, he rooms with Bob, and he Comes down the next morning uh, to breakfast, and his eyes are just bloodshot. His hair is disheveled, and everybody's going, what, what, what's the problem? And the guy goes, man, can that Bob snore? I just stood up all night, and I just watched him. And uh, so the next night came, second guy had a room with Bob, and kind of the same drill. You know, he comes down, and his eyes are all bloodshot, hair disheveled. I mean, he just looks terrible, and everybody says, well, what happened? And the, guy, the guy goes, man... Bob, when he snores, I mean, he just shakes the roof. And I just stayed up all night, and I just watched Bob. And uh, finally, it was Fred's turn, and, and Fred was a, a cowboy, older guy, about, you know, 60-ish, tan skin, leather skin. I mean, he was a man's man. And uh, so the next morning, Fred comes down to breakfast, and I mean, he is bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And he goes, hey, man, great morning, isn't it? And everybody goes, what happened? And Fred goes, well... When it was time to go to bed, uh, I just went over to Bob's bed, and I just uh, patted him on the back, and uh, I tucked him in, and then I gave him a kiss on the cheek. (laughs) And he stayed up all night, and he watched me. (laughs) So you have to see, you know, Fred's probably a... Fred's actually a pretty smart guy. Well, now that we got that over this, this morning, uh, as we continue our study in the book of Philippians, and that's what we're going to do, I've entitled the message, Who Are You Copying? Who Are You Copying? Lord, I do thank you for worship, and I thank you for the gift of humor. And now I just ask, Holy Spirit, you drew everyone here that's here this morning. They're not here by accident. So I just ask now that you would give them a soft heart even if they didn't come in with one. And you would give them ears to hear. You are welcome here, Holy Spirit. You want to bring life to every single person here. And I ask that you would breathe a fresh faith within this room, a faith to really begin to trust in you and not in ourselves, and a fresh hope. I ask that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. And I ask truly that the words that I would speak would not be my words, but they would be your words of life. And so I just thank you for what you're going to do now, and I just praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, if you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you have the wonderful privilege, the exhilarating privilege of having the great and grand goal of looking like him. Well, that brought some excitement. (laughs) Amen? I mean... Think about this. There's no greater goal in life than to look like the king of the universe. And by the way, you know how you get there? Suffering, pain, dying. That's counterintuitive. You go, what do you mean dying? I mean dying. What Jesus meant, you saw that scripture up there, Luke 9, 23. Dying to your dreams and your goals and desires so that he can live through you. The Holy Spirit can live through you and bring his dreams and goals and desires, which are far greater than ours, right? Yes. Now, let me throw out this question to you. Just let me put it out there. Have you ever considered that you are a role model? Someone is copying you. Amen? Yes. Oh, me? <laughs> what are they seeing, right? Right? What are the people seeing? We are a role model, whether we believe it or not. Somebody is copying you. Now, You know, I remember when I was in school, high school, I was told, do not copy. Do not copy your neighbor's test. Do not copy your neighbor's work. Just do not copy. In academia, there's a fancy name for it, plagiarism. Now, I always thought copying was the highest compliment you could pay somebody, so I was regularly complimenting people. But my my teachers didn't appreciate that, you know, viewpoint of things. But with all seriousness, copying is not always bad. In fact, I'm going to tell you this morning that it is essential. Copying is essential for learning. Don Shula, Skip, can you put up his picture? Some of you might remember Don Shula. He's a legendary coach for the... Miami Dolphins. He actually came to the Dolphins in 1970. In their first four seasons as a franchise, they had a stellar record of 15 wins and 29 losses. Not too good. Not exactly what you would call a winning record. Shula, on the other hand, came from the Baltimore Colts, and in seven seasons he had compiled an impressive 71-win, 23-loss record, and two world championships. The big question for Don Shula was this. How do you take a losing team and turn it around to a winning team? So you know what Don Shula did? He brought all the Miami Dolphins into a room. He turned the lights out and he rolled a projector and showed them film. Two hours worth of film. And you know what was on that film? Not how to block and tackle. He showed them film of the world champion Baltimore Colts for two hours, and they saw how they blocked and tackled with precision. They saw how they picked one another up. They saw how they complemented one another. They saw how iron sharpened iron, and they challenged one another. And after two hours of watching this, Shula turns off the projector, turned the lights out, and he stood in front of the Miami Dolphins, and he said, Men, I want you to copy the Baltimore Colts, then you will be world champions. And history records, one year later, 1971, you can check it out, the Miami Dolphins won their first Super Bowl. 1972, the Miami Dolphins had a perfect record culminating in winning their second Super Bowl. And by the way, that record still stands today. That is the power of imitation. That is the power of imitation, and the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17 this, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine, and learn from those who follow our example. Do you know that there's been reams and reams of study just reams and reams of study on the power of imitation. For example, one study was done by Darcy and Waldorf. They are two social scientists. And listen to what they found out. A little child up to the age of seven is essentially imitative. He learns by doing what he sees being done around him. Now listen to this. Fundamentally, all activities of the child's early years are imma. And by the way, I want you to know that even as the child goes into the teenage years and grows up, we still learn primarily through copying, through imitation. Why do you think a doctor goes through three years of of, of classwork? Then what do they do? They have an internship. They watch somebody do it. Lawyers are no different. By the way, pastors are no different. Because it's just not here. Really, the way we learn is by seeing And guess what? One of the things that's most troubling if you're a parent, and especially if you claim to be a believing parent, is we know that when the kid, our children, reach college age, guess what happens to them? They go. They leave. Somewhere in the 70% range, they leave the faith. And you know what is very troubling to me? You know what they're finding? It's not that the church is doing a poor job. You just can't drop your kid off and say, hey, fix my kid, make him look like Jesus. Doesn't work like that. You know whose job it is? The parents. See, the question is, what are they seeing in the home? They're going to imitate. In fact, there's no greater discipleship model than the home. Your child is watching you. And as Howard Hendricks used to say one of my professors, Gentlemen, your children will magnify your errors, your mistakes, your sins tenfold. So if you're not really reading the Bible with regularity, if you're missing church and it's here or there and it's whatnot, guess what your children are going to do? They're just going to magnify that tenfold. I mean... It's a huge point that we just do not understand in America. In fact, I'm going to tell you this. God intended for us to learn through copying. Did you know that? God intended for us to learn through imitation. It's interesting. Some years ago, scientists actually discovered in the human brain and in the primate brain things called mirror neurons. Skip, can you put that up? These neurons in our brains are called monkey see and monkey do. And here's what scientists have found out. Now, listen to what scientists say. Learning new skills is primarily done through imitation. In fact, learning by imitation allows humans to pass on traditions of culture, music, religion, art, and sport from one generation to another. I always like to say, science is always trying to catch up to what God is doing. Now, here's the question. Who did you copy? Who did you imitate? Every single one of us in this room has copied somebody. Every single one of us in this room has imitated someone. You know, you ever heard the saying, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree? There's a lot of truth to that. I remember growing up, I bet you did too. I bet you said, I'm not going to be like my father. I'm not going to be like my mother. And guess what? You're like your father and your mother whether we want to Admit it or not. Much more than we want to admit it or not. You know another powerful tool, though, that we learn to imitate from? Television. Movies. I mean, that is an incredible way that we are actually discipling our children. I mean, they watch the zombie tube, they watch the movies, and they actually are learning to imitate. We don't realize just how powerful, powerful tool that is for Satan. You know, I I minored in psychology, and one of the interesting studies they did was on men who rape. You know what they found out about men who rape? You know what they were doing beforehand? They were viewing pornography. That's right. They were viewing pornography. And in viewing pornography, it caused them to view women differently. It caused them to treat them as an object. It has been a proven fact that men who view pornography are going to be more aggressive towards females. That's an absolute fact. See, that's the power of visual. We're copying. You know what else they have found out? Violence. You know why we're a violent culture? What do you think is on the television and movies? And they have found that those kids, those teenagers, those adults who watch these movies and watch violence, guess what they're going to do? They're much more likely to act out in violence. Much more likely to act out in violence. And we just simply don't understand the power, for example, of, of television and whatnot. You know, another powerful tool that impacts us is culture. We mirror culture. Do you know that, you know, we, we live in America. We live in the American culture, and guess what? We divorce like our culture. That's what our culture does. We, we dress like our culture. Where do you think men get the idea of wearing skinny jeans? I mean, I mean, what man is going to wear skinny jeans unless his culture is telling him to? See, no, no, we, we mirror our culture. Where, where do you think the idea of the American delusion, I mean, the American dream came from? Think about it. We grow up and our culture says what? You got to get educated. Why? So you can get a good job. Why? So you can get a lot of money. Why? So that you can have a lot of toys. Why? So that you can retire well with a a lot of toys and nice houses. Why? So that you can die and then you can spend eternity in hell because you wasted your life on yourself. Awesome. Woo! Great plan. That's Satan's plan, by the way. That is Satan's plan. And we're like lemmings going off a cliff. And we just, because we just mirror our culture. You know what we've done with American Christianity? We've just baptized greed. No, no, we've, that's all we've done. See, we 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 we've, we've taken the American delusion and then we Christianize it and we try to make it sound spiritual. And people are just walking off the cliffs and wondering why their lives are going to pot. Well, now that we're all sufficiently encouraged, let's talk about hope. You know, in many ways, I represent that hope. Many of you know that I grew up in the promised land, Minneapolis, Minnesota. My parents were professionals. My father was an executive with Honeywell. My mother was a secular psychologist. And you know what? They were poster children children, if anyone was, for the American delusion, the American dream. Ooh, I mean, they hammered it. it. You know, son, life is about getting a good education. You got to get that good job, so you got to make a lot of money. And it's about, you know, and you know what they created by 21 years old? You know what I was by 21 years of age? I was a narcissist. I was a flaming narcissist. I See, I thought life was all about me. And you were here to serve me. The world was here to serve me. And, and if I believed in God, God was here to serve me. I know I was a flaming narcissist. Does it sound familiar with our culture right now? Entitlement? I mean, that, do you wonder why we're so angry? Have you ever wondered why our culture is so angry? No, I was angry. You know, I was angry because you weren't cooperating with me. How come you're not giving me the job that I want? How come you're not giving me the money that I want, the lifestyle that I want? No, I was a flaming narcissist. America's angry. You know why we're angry? Because we've been taught that we should all get the American delusion. And if we're not getting it, we're angry. And you've got our cities in flame because we're angry. And you know what else is inside of us? What else is inside of us is envy. You know, we're envious of people who do have it. We're greedy. We're lustful. You know what we are? We're walking little hells. You know, if someone comes walking up to you and says, Hey, what's your name? Just say, Hey, my name's Hell. I'm going to bring it to you today. <laughs> it's the truth. I mean, people are so angry on the inside. And wherever you go in your relationship, we wonder why our marriage relationships don't go. We're angry. And so we're bringing hell into our, our, our marriages and whatnot. No, it, it, it's just a tragedy. Of what's occurring. you got to understand this. And you know then. Uh, and I, and no I was a mess at 21. My wife's in the audience. I was a mess. And then, then I met hope. I met love. I met grace. Personified that's Jesus. And Jesus is a game changer. I have never ever. Recovered. From my encounter With Jesus Christ. He profoundly changed me. Forever. And ever. In fact. Do you know that Jesus is still in the miracle business? Does everybody realize that Jesus is in the miracle business? No raise your hand. You know what the greatest miracle is? 2 Corinthians 5.17. Look at this. If anyone, if anyone belongs to Christ, they have become a new person. Look at that. The old is gone and the new life has begun. That verse is incredibly powerful. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? See, I don't think, I don't think we do. No, I don't think we do. Let me change Jesus' metaphor here. I think the vast majority of people that I've seen are still in prison. No, they're still in, I, I watch them, they're in the prison of their pain. And they go over and over their pain. They're in the prison of their failures. They're, 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 they're in the prison of, of, of not having, of, of missing out. They're they're, they're in the prison of their strongholds. They're in the prison of their addictions. Now look at that. And Jesus says, don't you get it? I've blown the prison doors off your prison. And we're still just sitting there in prison. And do you understand? No, I want you to understand. I mean, it took me a while because we just float over this stuff. And all of a sudden, I really began to meditate. If he's serious. I mean, we got men who are dying in porn addiction. They're just going down the sewer. We got people on drugs. We got people on alcohol. We got people with all kinds of addictions and strongholds. And this thing is life. And all of a sudden I began to meditate on it. I said, Jesus, if this is true, then I need you to set me free from my sexual problems. I need you to set me free from my alcohol problems. I need you to set me free from my performance issues. That I got to meet up to daddy's expectations and on and on it went. And I had a list of them and I bet you do too. And you know what? When all of a sudden that took hold of me, I began to realize, hey, I don't have to let this control me anymore. I learned I could say no. And I said, Holy Spirit, I want that life that Jesus talked about with that woman in the Samaritan. well. I want. Oh, no, no, I want that life. I want love, and I want joy just springing up. I need that peace. I need patience. I need kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. I need that. Oh, do I need that? And as I began to practice, no, realizing the power that Jesus, I'm a new creation. When it's ever Satan comes knocking on my door, I say, no, that was the old guy. New creation, new creation. I don't need to watch that porn now. I don't, I don't need to give in to my lust. No, see, it's amazing the power. You're a new creation. If you're in Christ, you are a new creation. You can live victorious. I know I, I'm going to tell you no matter what anybody else says, you can live victorious. I don't want to hear anymore. Well, I'm moving in grace. You know, I'm just floating. <laughs> in defeat. No, no, if you're flowing in grace, you're flowing in victory. Amen. No, no, you're flowing in his power. He does, the God of the universe wants you free. Jesus, by the way, he is for you. He is really for you. He wants you free. Now, you know what one of the critical things is, though, if you're really going to grab hold of 2 Corinthians 5.17? You know what's critical? Well, let's put it back. Let's put Philippians 3.17 up again. Put it up, Skip, as we wind this thing down. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. What kind of life do you think Paul led? Defeated or victorious? Defeated or victorious? Victorious. Right. Good answer. And he says, then, learn from those who follow my example. You see, the... What's critical to living out 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is an example that you see someone living victorious. So you know what Paul's saying here? He's saying that life, the Christian life, is more caught than taught. No, it's more caught than taught. No, You know what we believe here in America, though? We believe it's more taught than caught. So you know what we do? We run over here. I'm going to go to this conference. We're going to get all this information. Then we go, whoo. Back over here. We're gonna go to this conference, and we, we, you know, we're we're gonna get some more stuff, and then we, whoop, whoop, got to go over to this conference, and we we got, we're we're just conference junkies, and nothing changes. No, no, nothing changes. See, it doesn't work that way. You know, in Paul's day, they had a saying, DTR. That does not mean define the relationship. It does mean. Dust of the rabbi. Skip put up the picture. You see, in Paul's day, you know how they learned? They didn't just listen to the rabbi. Jesus was a rabbi. How many people know that? So did Rabbi Jesus say to his disciples, come listen to me? What did he say? Aww. Ah. Isn't that beauty of that system? Beauty of that system. See, yes, there was instruction, but much more the disciples saw how Jesus lived out Christianity, They saw how you could live victoriously. See, now here's, here's the big question as we wind this down. Who have your rabbis been? Who have your examples been? Who have your teachers been? What, and what have you learned from them? You see, I was fortunate in this. I mean, God really had grace on me. After I got saved rather radically at 21 years of age, I mean, I was a raving mess, so it's possible Depending on how you view me, but it's possible to actually get your life somewhat victorious. No, it really is. And you know, my first rabbi was Rabbi Ron, First Southern Baptist, Tucson. I, I was at the University of Arizona, and the closest church just happened to be First Southern, big church actually. Ron Hart was the pastor. And you know, Ron had actually, I, I was very fortunate to have Ron. You know, he he actually got saved out of the rodeo circuit. So he wasn't, you know, Mr. Rogers. He wasn't this milk-toasty guy. You know, no, this guy was a man's man. By the way, it's good to be masculine. If you're men, you need to learn to be a man. God created them male and female. Not in the middle. Not androgynous. Male, We need men to be men. I was fortunate... Not, not a worldly man now, I'm talking about a godly man. And so I have Ron Hart, this godly man, big church, you know, and he actually can make a fair amount of money. But you know what Ron taught me? He lived simply. He lived simply. I went and saw his house. He dressed really simple. I mean, he got the Sears specials for dressing. And he preached simply. I mean, in fact, Ron, whenever he took a text out of the Bible, no matter where it was, he would make a beeline for Jesus. And he would give you Jesus at the end. He used to tell me, Frank, you haven't preached unless you've given him Jesus. I mean, you cut Ron and he bleeds Jesus. See, so I learned from him simplicity. No, it's great because what you see out there with, with what's going on in the pastoral world, you, you see just the you see extravagance. I mean, it is just turning people off. But I learned from him what a minister looked like, what a pastor looked like, what a godly man, pastor looked like. You know, my second mentor that I remember very clearly uh, was a guy by the name of Tim. He was actually a chemistry professor at the University of Arizona. And I remember going to his office, it was about 8 o'clock in the morning, and I, come, you know, I knock, he says, come on in. And there he is. He's at his desk, and I don't know what he's doing. I think he's correcting tests or whatnot. Like I said, it's 8 o'clock. He's got a chair right next to his desk. So I sit down at the chair, and you know what's right on top of his desk? Bible. Now This is, this is 81. And I'm going, wow, that's, that's, that's brash. Science department, this guy has a Bible out on his desk. And I asked him about it. I had no filters. You know, I said, well, what are you doing with the Bible on your desk? And he goes, I come in here at seven o'clock. I study my Bible from seven to eight, and I mean, you could see the pages were ragged. This guy had underlined it, different colors. No, it was it was incredible. I mean, see, this guy's he's teaching me as, as I'm watching. Then he said, I start to take students at eight o'clock, and he said, oftentimes they'll see the Bible and they'll ask me, "What is that?" And they will tell them it's a Bible. And then he would share his faith. Now, I want you to hear the story. This man has a young wife, two kids. And it wasn't that long after it that uh, they did not renew his contract at the University of Arizona. just want you to know that. Now, remember, this guy has two kids, two little kids. He was willing to do that. And I remember how he took it, though. That's what, you know, I, I didn't know what to say to him. And he goes, Frank, you don't need to say anything to me. I just want you to know that God is good and his plan is always good even when you don't think so. You never forget that God is good and his plan is good even when you don't think so or understand it. And you know what I learned from Tim? I learned the importance of getting alone with God, finding that time. I learned the importance of courage that no matter what, no matter where you are, stand for the truth even if it costs you. And you know what else I learned from him? Trust. He trusted God. And by the way, he did get another position, another job. Last person I just, before we close out. I'd be remiss. I had one other mentor. His name is Howard Hendricks. Skip, can you put up his picture? There he is. He was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. Taught me homiletics. Taught me many things. You know, if you've never heard Hendricks, he's dead now. You can Google him and hear him. He's the finest teacher, bar none, I ever heard. He kind of reminded me of a Christian Don Rickles. He was funny, too. And, uh, but, you know, no, no, this guy was really good. He was in demand. And one time I remember in class, you know, a guy asked him, uh, Dr. Hendricks, why don't you go on the speaking circuit? You know, you could make a lot more money. By the way, this guy started out in a trailer. You ought to see, it's like, Live simply. Unbelievable! No, how 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 this guy lived. They said, "Dr. Hendricks, you 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 really could you know be one of those modern day guys." Is what they were really saying. You know, making five hundred thousand or whatnot. And you know what Dr. Hendricks said? He said, "Men, God called me to train men for the ministry. Period. And that's what I intend to do till I die." That's exactly what Howard Hendricks did. That's exactly, he taught me integrity. No, no, he taught me integrity. You know what the other thing he taught me? And I'd like to kill him for this one because it's probably hurt me. But he would go, men, he would hold the Bible. He goes, it is a sin to bore people with the Bible. This is the most exciting book on planet Earth, and you need to be passionate about this book and, more importantly, passionate about the author of this book. I've never forgotten that. Never, ever forgotten that. So how about you? Example matters. You do not learn. I don't care. You can go to all the conferences you want. It's not going to matter. You know what's going to matter is who's modeling it for you. Who really are your role models? You've got them. And trust me, you're copying them. Are they really godly? Or What are you learning from them? And by the way, what are your kids seeing from you? Lord, I just thank you for the word. I know it's a tough word, but it can be life-giving. And I pray for each and every person here as they think about that question who are their mentors, who are their rabbis, who are their examples. Because that's who they're copying. And I pray here that you'll help us at Bethlehem Community Church to raise up godly leaders, more and more of them. We need godly men and women and I thank you for the ones that we have, Lord. I do. I thank you for the ones that we have. Huge responsibility because people are watching. How do we live this thing out? How do we live victoriously? And so I pray that you'll raise us up more, godly men and women, so that we can see how to live this thing out. We can all hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And I ask for this in your precious name. Amen. Does your Savior live? Does he live through you? Yes. That was a little less. Yes. Hopefully it'll be a little more. Because that's exactly, he does live. We're going to see that in a couple of weeks. Can't wait for Resurrection Sunday, right? Yes. And that's exactly the point. He should be living through us. If you just want to know more about Jesus... We'd love to talk to you about Jesus. There's no better subject than that. He can truly set you free. We'll have people up here would love to talk to you about Jesus. If you just need prayer, need encouragement, then we'd love to pray with you so we'll have people up here praying. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be truly gracious to you. And I pray more than anything else, he will give you That desire to look like him. And you'll truly live. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.